0: Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. We're about to get the mitzvah of lighting the menorah. So it's an appropriate time to talk about the nature of light. L-I-G-H-T. And what I think that you're going to see, the more we discuss it, is that light actually comes in many, many different levels. The Zohar talks about three types of light, many more types of light, but let's just begin with these three types of light. The light of the sun, the light of the moon, and candlelight. And each one of these types of light has something very special about it. Rabbi Shlomo explained that there are certain business meetings that you have during the day, but those business associates, you can't bear to see them at night. Isn't that interesting? By the light of the sun, it's okay. But by the light of the moon, no, it's not okay. Something Something changes. And the time when people are closest are by candlelight. That's a type of light that draws people together. So here you just see on a this world aspect that there are different types of light and that each one of these types of light has a different energy associated with it. But what I want to discuss with you today are heavenly forms of light, more exalted forms of light. One of the names of Hashem is or a sof, which means light without end. Now, it's very important that when we talk about these things, because we're going to talk about very amazing, very, very deep things, we're going to be talking about the beginning of creation today. And so, when we talk about God, we have to have some rules in place about what it means to talk about God, okay? So the Zohar says God fills the world, God surrounds the world, and God is beyond the world. So in other words, God fills the world, God surrounds the world, and God is beyond, 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 beyond. We express this dynamic many, many different ways. Perhaps the most famous way that we express it is when we say, Avinu Our father, our king. The idea is God is like a parent. He's extremely, extremely close, very loving. But at the same time, God is in the palace. He's the king. And, you know, someone could go through their whole life, maybe never see the king. So, both of those things are happening simultaneously. When we talk about God, we can't talk about his essence because his essence is beyond. His essence is beyond. And yet, at the same time, he's very close. With that in mind, I want to give you a gamatria, an amazing gamatria, a different type of gamatria, because usually you use gematria to compare two different things and show how there's a similarity to them. This is in the Piskei Sharim, and this is a gematria that helps you understand pshat, which means the basic level. Usually, gematria is going to give you a deeper understanding, but this is actually a gematria that's going just to explain the basic terms. That's interesting. Just if you're, a, if you're a connoisseur of gematria, I'm telling you, that what I'm about to share with you is a different type of gematria. And it goes like this. The word ratzon, which means will, like the desire of someone, the will of a person, right? Or in this case, God. Ratzon is the gematria shemo. I'll explain what that means. That means that when we talk about God, we're not talking about his essence because, again, God is infinite and we're finite. We can reach tremendous heights, tremendous heights, and God is tremendously close to us. But we have to understand God fills the world, God surrounds the world, but there's also this aspect that God is beyond beyond. So when we talk about God, we're talking about the will of god and the word ratzon which means will is the same gematria as "shemo," which means his name so when we talk about the name of god we're talking about god's will not god himself now all the things that i'm telling you i'm basically trying to give you the rules Of engagement for what we're going to do later, because we're going to get very close to talking about God, and that's why it's important to put these boundaries in place. I shared with you earlier that certain tests were given to the nations who God offered the Torah to. The Medrash said that God offered the Torah to other nations before He offered it to the Jewish people, and they asked questions to God, like, "What's in this Torah?" And God says, well, don't steal. And they're like, "Ah, that's kind of a deal breaker. You know, that's kind of like the basis of our economy is stealing. So no, thank you. And then another nation asked, what's in it? And God said, don't kill. And they're like, don't kill. You know, that's our whole foreign affairs platform and internal affairs platform and neighborhood dispute platform. So you can't take away killing from us. Okay. So it wasn't from them either. So what what the Jewish people said, we'll do and we'll hear, nas This is probably the, the peak moment of closeness and spirituality in the history of the Jewish people when we said these words, because basically the words behind these words were, God, you're good, and whatever comes from you is good, and we don't need any explanations, just tell us what to do. I tell you, for me, it, it's a very great moment of closeness. I don't know if this is a very subtle thing, but maybe you've noticed it in your life. I have. Sometimes someone will come up to you or you'll come up to them. You say to them, can you do me a favor? The people who are very close to you will say yes. 99% of the other people will say, what's the favor? <laughs> It's like not so fast. Can you do me a favor? Ah, just, you know, tell me what's on the table here. The Jewish people said yes. We said, God, you just tell us what to do. We're gonna do it. We'll hear the explanations later. Okay. So what was the test that the Jewish people got? We heard not don't steal, we heard don't kill. God said, I'm gonna put a boundary around the mountain, around Harsinai, around Mount Sinai, and you can only get so close, will you still accept this Torah knowing that you're only going to be able to get so close? In other words, this idea that God is like a father, but he's also like a king, he's very close to us, and yet ultimately we can't understand him. Are we okay with that relationship? Because that's one of the premises. In other words, God is God because God is beyond. (laughs) A lot of people, they feel like, if you can completely explain God to me, if you can completely explain the mitzvahs to me, then I'm on board. But if you can't, not so much. But there's a lack of recognition, even though that's probably coming from a good place when the person is saying it, they want to understand there's a complete lack of understanding of who God is and what God is. The premise of God is that he's completely beyond. How can the finite grasp the infinite? We can grasp aspects of the infinite, but not the entirety of the infinite. Or as I love to quote the Kutskarebi, he said, I would never worship a God I understood. Because if you completely understand God, then you're also God. So what do you need God for? In other words, one of the premises of God is that you will never fully understand Him. That's the boundary around the mountain. That was the test of the Jewish people. It wasn't don't steal and don't kill. It was can you serve a God that you will never fully, fully, fully understand? And we said, yes, because we understood God is infinite. And as long as we know that God is good, then what's the problem? Even if we don't understand, even if we'll never fully understand. right? The angels don't fully understand. The only one who fully, fully understands God is God. But if you think about it, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it should be. Okay, so I told you I want to talk about the nature of light. So this week's Parsha begins with the mitzvah to make a menorah. That's a type of light that puts all the other types of light together and makes them available in this world. Same thing with the light of the Torah. Special conduits of light. But before we start to get into the depths of the creation of the world, and the creation of light itself, believe it or not. We're going to discuss that. I want to talk about the eye, the human eye. Because I came across a teaching from the son of the Ishbitzer Rebbe, the son of the Meir Shaloh, the Noah's Desha. That's the name of his Sefer. And this Torah was like, oh, this is like a wow. It's like a wow Torah. But first, I have to introduce it. It says in the Gemara. It says in Masechet Gitten, page forty-three A. If you want to look it up, there was an area where they didn't have a a, a Torah scholar who could paskin, who could tell people like what the Torah law was in certain instances. You need someone like that in a community, so they they didn't have one. So there was a someone who fit the bill of a Torah scholar, and someone came up to him and said. Listen, we need help with this stumbling block. Will you help us? Now listen carefully. What was the stumbling block that they needed help with? The Torah. In other words, this person wasn't trying to demean the Torah or lower the sanctity or the covet of the Torah, but because they don't know the Torah laws, The Torah is being a stumbling block for them because they don't know what to do. And they're seeking help. So they refer to the Torah as a stumbling block. And they say, we need help with this stumbling block. You're a Torah scholar. Can you help us be a leader in our community? You follow? So listen again carefully. They're referring to the Torah as a stumbling block but not, God forbid, in a way that diminishes the honor of the Torah. They want help, how not to stumble, so that they can keep the Torah. You understand? Okay. Now the Gomorrah says, wow, this is amazing. And they give us a foundation that this is one of the great things that we need to know for our own lives. The Torah wants to probe further into this idea That the Torah is a stumbling block. And the sages in the Gomorrah come up with the following explanation. That until you stumble over something and fail in life, you will never fully understand it. That's how the Torah is a stumbling block. Remember, Torah means to teach. So now we're getting two names for the Torah. It's a stumbling block, and it's a teacher. And so the sages are connecting these two ideas and saying that until someone falls in an idea, they will never fully be able to understand what that idea is teaching. That's A, very reassuring, right? That God is teaching us lessons through our failure. In other words, it's not just that we failed at something and if you're smart, try to learn a lesson. (laughs) Like, it's not that. It's that sometimes God blesses us with success in certain areas and sometimes God blesses us with not success in certain areas. But not just because he wants to shut us down or stymie us. That is the vehicle through which God is going to teach us an important life lesson. So God is with us in both aspects of our life. And God is guiding us in both aspects of our life. Very important. Very, very important. Okay. Now with that in mind, I want to tell you this amazing teaching. Okay? You need that as as a background for this. About the human eye. Remember, we're talking about light. And how do we see light? Through our eye. So, now listen to this. The Noah's Desha, the son of the Ishmitzah Rebbe, points out that the eye has a white part to it, and it also has a black part to it. This is everyone's eye, okay? You have a little ring around the black part, which could be different colors, right? But every eye has a white part to it, and the center part of the eye the pupil is black. This is everybody. The Noah's puts all of these teachings together and he says the following. White means purity. So white means that you didn't make a mistake, right? That you're 100% in that area. That's the white of the eye. But where do you see out of? You see out of the black of the eye. What does black stand for? The mistakes that we've made. So in other words, it's through the mistakes that we've made and the lessons that we've learned, like the Gomorrah says, that you only truly understand something after you've fallen in that area, that you can actually see the truth and move forward. And so we see through the black of our eye, not through the white of our eye amazing teaching amazing amazing teaching okay so now let's get into the nature of light okay this is very exciting because this is absolutely one of my favorite topics in the world and I've told you again many many times but we're going to go deeper in a second but let's just have a just a bit more context before we plunge in I told you that the way God created the world, like one of the amazing things about Einstein is that Einstein provided the math for what the Torah has been saying all along. Right? We always knew these ideas, but now we can point to it and and figure it out scientifically and mathematically. Thanks to Einstein. But all he's doing is showing that what the Torah has been saying all along is true. In fact, we say that science is still catching up to Torah. And by the way, I heard in the name of the Rambam something amazing, which is that the way secular society wants to present it is there's a war between Torah and science. That's garbage. It's garbage. Let me tell you why it's garbage. Because the Torah and science have to agree. Because all science is, is a description of how God does things. And the author of the world, God, is the one who made Torah and is also the one who made science. (laughs) So of course they agree. And so the Rambam says that if they don't agree, you either have the Torah wrong or you have the science wrong. But the idea is Torah and science have the same author. So it's just a question of figuring it out, you know, what, what's off. But of course they agree. Okay, so, so in many ways, we see today that science is still catching up to Torah. And here we have Einstein now providing the math for what the Torah said thousands of years ago. Okay, good. So what did Einstein say? And what was he proving that the Torah said? You all know the formula, famous formula. E equals MC squared. What does that mean? That you can take energy and energy can turn into mass. Right. So, God. This is how God created the world. God took an aspect of His light. Remember, one of the names of God is Or Ein Sof, God, light light without end. God took an aspect of His light. We say the outer garment, not all of God, just an aspect of His light, the outer garment. And divine light, this is the greatest energy in the entire universe, divine light. So he took this energy and he made the world out of it. That's what it is. And what are the Hebrew letters when we say that God created the world out of the Hebrew letters? What are the Hebrew letters in their root form? They're different energy wavelengths. So God combined these energy wavelengths and he made the universe. So, you know, we have continuums from spirituality to materiality. Those are not two separate concepts. That's one fluid, straight continuum. Light becomes condensed until it becomes matter. Okay, so now we're ready to dive in. So I want to point out, and what I'm telling you right now is from the Zohar, the third Pesach, the third verse of the Torah, we're going to see these things, and then we're going to see them in the prayers that we say every day. I'll read it in English first one of the most famous verses in the entire Torah. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Okay? So the way we say that in, in Hebrew is, Vayomer Elohim, Yehi Or. Now, there's something very, very striking about that phraseology. So if you look, there are ten Utterances of creation. God, so to speak, spoke existence into reality. Right? He made something out of nothing. But if you look at the other instances of how God creates, in every instance, it says God wants to create something, and then it concludes by saying, Vayik. Every single time. So if God wants to make animals, at the end he says, Let there be animals, then it will say, "Vayehi Khain. God wants to make human beings. Let there be human beings. And then it says, Vayehi chain. After every one of God's utterances it says Vayehi Kane. And it was so. Or God made it, basically. Okay. Not not the case. Not the case with light. Again, let's review the words. It says, yehi or, or. Isn't that striking? Why is it different with light? In other words, the narrative is God says, let there be human beings, and it was so. In other words, okay, I wanted human beings, now I made them. But by light, it deviates from that pattern. It's like, or, or rather, yehi or, or, which implies what? That the light was already there. <laughs> God didn't have to make the light. This is the, This is what I'm trying to tell you god didn't have to make the light because the light was already there that's why it's different so you say well if the light was already there where did the light come from so what did i tell you one of the names of hashem is or ain Sof, light without end and god took an aspect of himself not all of himself What we say is his outer garment. And God used that light in order to create the world. That means this entire world is an aspect of God. Now, one of the most powerful visuals that I've ever heard in my life, you see, people don't think about it, but you've got a snail, which is kind of like this very sort of slimy, wormy character, right? And then you've got this hard shell that's over it. So if you asked me, I mean, not that anyone really thinks about these things, but if you ask me, well, how'd that happen? I would say, well, this, you know, slimy little wormy character was like on the beach and he finds this little shell and he goes, okay, this is a good home. And then it's like a shidduch, right? It's like a nice match. You know, you got a, a tenant and you got an empty apartment. Everybody's happy, but that's not thats not what happens. This shell is 100% snail. That this wormy character grows out of himself something completely different from what he is, which is this hard shell, and it's not something other than him. It's 100% him. And so the sages say that's this world and God. This world is like the shell, and God inhabits the shell. But that means that the physical parts of this world, like the table and the walls and the concrete and your orange juice, that's all shell but that's all emanations of godliness. (laughs) So when we say that it's all God, that the only thing that exists is God, the only thing that exists is God, it happens to be that we're looking at the shell, so to speak, the most outward manifestations, and we'll call them emanations, right? We'll call them emanations. Now, emanations are going to come in different wavelengths. You have a soul. That's what keeps you alive. That's, the, that's very different from a bottle of orange juice. That is a strong beam of revelation of godliness. Right? So you've got a, a beam of like high-powered godliness being aimed right at you on a regular basis. That's what's animating you. Okay, so we see that light always existed. Okay. Now, I want to begin to prepare you for this next part. We're not going to go into it exactly, but I want to introduce this. This is a prayer that we say every single day. And it's right after Baruch. Okay? And by the way, there's the tradition. I don't know if you saw it. It's written very small in the side margin, but it's a good thing to do. When we say this prayer for the men who say this prayer, when you say Yodzer or, you're supposed to touch your arm to fill in. And when you say Overei Choshech, You're supposed to touch your head to fill it, okay? And you can kiss your hand afterwards. So here's the prayer. I'll read it to you first in English. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who forms light, all right? Maybe you're getting a little bit ahead of us now. Who forms light and creates darkness, makes peace, and creates all. Okay, we're going to get a much deeper understanding of that in a moment. Let me read it quickly in Hebrew. Baruch hata Okay, we're going to go more deeply into this in a moment. So now, I want to tell you something, because it's just, we have to really, as we talk about the different parts and start to break things down, I want to constantly remind you of the oneness of God it's very very important to keep that in mind not to get too particularized and not to focus too much on imagery which is just meant to teach and to assume that that thing is a real object right because again the rabbis just gave us these this language in order to have something for us to wrap our minds around but we have to understand that all these ideas are very exalted and very beyond. Okay, so let me just share with you this teaching. We have, after that prayer that I just read to you, in the morning prayers, in the next paragraph, the, one, the paragraph that begins, in the middle of that paragraph, we say, El ber Tamid. Okay, if you didn't pick it up, we just went through the entire Aleph base. Every one of those words started with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, starting from the first letter and going through the last letter. Now, I got a surprise email, actually a WhatsApp, this past week. A rabbi who's, who, had a, who had a phenomenal influence on me, still does, is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful teacher. One of the best teachers ever. Gerfein. Gerfine, he, we're not so much in touch, but he just sent me a WhatsApp out of the blue, and he says, Here is the answer to a question you asked me 20 years ago. And he sends me a snapshot from the Yismach Moshe, who was one of the great Hasidic masters. I actually had the schuss of going to his kever, this pastor Elul, it's in Hungary. He brought a to Hungary. Okay, one of the great Hasidic masters. Actually, Satmer traces their line to him. And uh, anyway, he brings this teacher, This he brings this teaching, it's a, a teaching actually from the Baal Shem Tov. But it's in his Sefer. So what does the Baal Shem Tov point out? In the Musaf <clears throat> Shmona Esrei. So we say it once a week on Shabbos. We've got this prayer, Tikanta Shabbos, Ratzita, Korbanoseha, Tsevisa Purusha, Purusheha, Im Sidure, and it goes on. It goes through the Aleph base in reverse order. So I told you we have this concept of garments. What are garments? The idea is that as Light travels toward materiality. At each stage along the way, there is another garment of light that's added. And now I'm going to give you another wild idea, okay? The idea that the light becomes thicker. Usually when you think about light, you don't think about the thickness of light, But when we talk about garments and added garments, we're talking about the light is becoming thicker until it becomes materiality itself. The Baal Shem Tov teaches during the week, we start with the letter Aleph, and that each one of these letters, because what did I tell you? That God made the world out of the letters, out of these energy wavelengths. Each one of these letters, says the Baal Shem Tov, is a garment, a lavush. And so you have the letter Aleph, which, so to speak, stands for God, Kaviyocho, right? Because Aleph is one and God is one. And then you have the letter Bez, which covers over the Aleph. And then you have the letter Gimel, that covers over the Bez and the Aleph. And then you have the letter Dalad, which covers over the Gimel, the Bez, and the Aleph all the way till you get to the letter tough which is the final covering meaning to say during the week when we say this prayer it's hard or harder to see god in the world during the work week on shabbos the process is reversed and that's why we have this prayer in the reverse alphabetical order because all of the garments are being stripped away. All of the barriers to becoming to coming close to God are stripped away on Shabbos. And on Shabbos, you can experience a closeness to God that you can't experience otherwise. Right? Even the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, is called the Shabbos of Shabbos. In other words, it's all within this paradigm of Shabbos. Okay. So now another teaching reminding us of the oneness of God. Then we're going to get more into the light. When God created the world, we've got two types of numbers. We've got what's called ordinal numbers and cardinal numbers. Okay? So I always forget which is which, but to give you the example, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, And you have 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th. Okay? One is ordinal, one is cardinal. Now, if you're going to use one system, you have to stay consistent. So amazingly, and this is just one of those amazingly wonderful, cool things about the Torah, the way God teaches us, is that he mismatches them in a very exciting way. The first day of creation is Yom Echad. That means one day. Afterwards, it's Yom Sheni, which is second day. Yom Shlishi, third day, Yom Revi, fourth day, Yom Chamishi, fifth day, Yom Shishi, sixth day, Yom Shvi, seventh day. Do you see how we switched from one to second? Why not just call the first day of creation Yom Rishon? That would have been easy, right? By the way, it's things like this that, and I'm just talking for myself, that are proofs that God wrote the Torah. Because the jokers who want to say that the Torah is actually assembled from various texts over periods of time, Total jokers, right? Don't you think that it was in their interest to proofread the texts that they were trying to pass along as truth to everyone else? Don't you think that they would have caught things like day one and second day? It's sort of like, oh, you know, let's kind of make this consistent. We're trying to make it credible for the people. (laughs) Clearly, God would not make a mistake like that because it's not a mistake, It's a very, very deep, intentional teaching, as are all instances of that, all instances. So what is the teaching? That when God created the world, and I'm telling you this again because we're gonna talk about the creation of the world in a few moments. When God created the world, Hashem echad, and after God created the world, on the first day of creation, It uses the word echad because Hashem is still one. God is one before the creation of the world. And after the creation of the world, God remains one. Nothing's changed. It's still all God. Remember the snail and the shell. It might look different. You might think that materiality and spirituality are two entirely separate things, It's all God. It's all God. Okay. So now, let's get into it. What is this? It says, Yahi or Vayahi or. What was that first light? So now, interestingly, there's a phrase that the Zohar uses. Botsina de Cardenusa. talking about that initial light. You know what that means, that phrase, Botsina de Cardenusa. You know what that means? Fascinating, fascinating translation. You ready for this? The dark light. Which, by the way, if that's not the name of a movie franchise yet, <laughs> it has to be like tomorrow, right? The dark light? Come on. It's amazing. But you say to yourself, well, wait a second. The, the whole point of light is to dispel darkness how can you have dark light light is the opposite of darkness but now listen to how exalted our chachamim our sages are they understood that God created the world out of light now listen carefully that initial light is going to become the universe right the world And what is the world going to do? It's going to conceal the presence of God. That's why it's called the dark light. Because that initial light eventually is gonna become the material universe which conceals God. Isn't that fascinating? And they traced it all the way back to the origin of that light. And they knew what the repercussions of that light was going to be. Remember, cash torah, right? Rib Shlomo says that what's a cash torah you have to have this in your pocket at all times. The word for world in Hebrew is olam. The root of that in Hebrew is ayin lamed mem, which is hidden. So the word for world and the word for hidden are the same. Why because God is hidden in this world. And the light which made this world hides God. Therefore, it's called the dark light. Okay. But as we're seeing, we've, we talked about candlelight. We talked about the light of the moon. We talked about the light of the sun. Now we're talking about yehi or vayahi or. We're talking about the initial lights, these heavenly lights. But now we're going to go even higher. Now we're going to talk about the creation of light itself. So I want to teach you a word. If you don't know it, this is a very, very important word in terms of Kabbalah. The word is avir, avir. Now avir is translated as air, A-I-R, air, but The Zohar refers to the Aver Ilah, which means the higher air, right? Or the more exalted air. And when we're talking about Aver, we're really not talking about the air that we breathe with our lungs at all. It can also mean that. But we're talking about something so beyond and exalted, like the highest, 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 highest. Highest, highest, highest. Before the world was created, highest. Now, listen to this. Something unbelievable. Again, from the Zohar. This word avir, air, er, if you remove the letter yud from it, what remains is the word or. Aleph, vav, resh which is light. How is light created? God removed the letter Yud from Aver, from that thing called Aver, which existed, right? Which was an aspect of God. Removed the letter Yud from it, and now all of a sudden there's light. Now let me explain further. This is only part of the teaching. So we're still very much in the middle here. How did God create the universe? So we know that he made an area within himself, what we call the empty space. In Hebrew, it's called the halal. God made an empty space within him. You know, the worst mitzvah, I'm sorry, the worst aver, avera, the worst sin in the entire Torah is called a Hil ha'shem. That's when you give, through your actions, God a bad reputation. And one of the amazing paradigms, God describes himself in many different ways in Tanakh, one of the ways God describes himself is as our twin. And you say, well, God created the entire universe. How, is, how am I a twin of God? Okay, well, I have an neshama. That's a piece of him, so I guess right, that's kind of like twins, but that's like the tiniest piece, you know? Like, it's not really twins, and I can't do what God does, so people confuse twins, Right? How is anyone confusing me for God? (laughs) So the answer is, we've been hardwired in this crazy way, our brains, the way we think, that if someone, say religious, does something unethical, people stop believing in God. Or it gives God a tremendously bad reputation. Now think about it. That means that somehow that person has confused me and God <laughs> because we're twins. You see, on a very deep level, we are twins. Now, the Gomorrah says something very interesting. They actually give a mathematical formula for this. They say if anything is true for the bad in the Torah, and this is the Gomorrah's math that I'm telling you right now, it's 500 times more For the good, if you can do it. So yeah, it can go the bad way. But you can do it, if it's the good, it's 500 times greater. So that means if you do a mitzvah, you can give God a good reputation. Because people confuse us and God. (laughs) Because of this very deep idea that we're twins somehow. Okay, so what is a Chilul Hashem? It comes, why are we talking about this? Because it comes from the same word, chalal, which is this empty space that God made within himself. So when a person desecrates God's name, what they do is they make a hole in that person's consciousness where God doesn't exist or they make a hole out of the entire world and believe that God doesn't exist in the world. That's the parallel between Chil Hashem and this halal that we're talking about at the beginning of creation. It's this empty, vacated space. Now, the big Kabbalistic joke is that the empty, vacated space that God made within himself is also filled with godliness. Because there is no iota, no space at all that isn't filled with God. And Rabsada Sadaq says that's what the snake put into us. When we talk about the zuama, which is snake poison, what did the snake give over to Adam and Chaba that we're still all living with? The idea that there could be such a thing as a place where God is not. I'll say that again. You want the best, in my opinion, working definition of snake poison? Right? What the snake did to us? It put into our brains the idea that there could be such a thing as a place where God is not. So you see, even the halal, even this initial opening that God made within himself, in order to create the world inside of that, even that is filled with godliness. But it's a diminished godliness. It's a darker light. So that we can have free choice. That's the idea. God was like, what if there were a creature that didn't have to serve me? Or they that's what their perception was. Angels don't have free choice. Angels see an aspect of God quantumly measures higher than we do. And from paralysis, they serve God. Or from total overwhelmed Yira, I don't want to badmouth the angels, but they—they're not even—they're not even capable of free choice. It's not a Hava amina that they could have free choice. So God already has these perfect, these perfect creations. God said, "What if I create people with free choice who have to actually choose to serve Me? That don't see Me in front of their faces all the time." What will they do? I want their service. That's us. That's us. So on, on the one hand, we're the lowest creatures in the universe. And simultaneously, we're way higher than angels. We're way higher than angels. Because we can do things that angels can't even remotely approach to begin to do. Chayim said that when a person begins to speak Lashon Hara, to say something that they shouldn't, and then they stop themselves, the angels gasp in envy. Okay, so now we have this halal. We have this space that God created in order to put the world in. And now God is going to shine a light into this world as we discussed. And from that light, he's going to make the universe. All right, now let's go back to a question that I can't even believe that the Zohar addresses. And I saw it in the Piskei Sharm. Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver. You ready for this? How did God make the halal? I mean, in terms of divine mechanics, like, who's ever hearing this, you did something right to be able to hear this next piece of information. We're going to find out, how did God make the halal? How did God make that hole to begin with? And the truth is, I already told you the answer. We have this word avir, which means air. This existed before the halal. And what God did was, he took the yud out, and when God took the yud out, this empty space was created. And what was left is the word or. Now light shines into this empty space. And if that's very abstract, I'm about to give you a visual which is going to make it, I think, perfectly clear. God bless me with this visual. You ready? Imagine a sink full of water. Okay, To the top, it's filled with water. And there's a plug on the bottom. Have you ever pulled the plug out of a sink or out of a bathtub filled with water? You know what happens? A whirlpool forms. There's a hole that forms. Now imagine that sink filled with water. The water in the sink is the avir. That's this avir ilah, this heavenly exalted air. That's the water filled of the sink. The plug is the letter yud. You pull out the letter Yud, the plug, and what gets created? A vacuum, a hole. That whirlpool inside. And that's the area that God now, now you have, or now you have the light shining into this empty space, which is going to become the material universe. I told you that light always existed because the light that God created the world out of, or if you want to, right, it was just an aspect of God, the outer garment of God. So now, and I told you that there are levels of light. So now let's revisit those words in the Torah. hear right? It doesn't say, and it was so like all the other utterances of creation where all of a sudden it comes into existence, no, because it was there. So what's the vav of yehi or Vayahi or? There's a vav in there. What is that vav? So we know the letter vav is a straight line. It pulls down energy, right? Like in the yudke vavke, I always tell you to picture it. One letter on top of the other. The top yud, that's the highest emanation of light. Then the hay underneath it, then the vav, then the bottom hay, which is this world, pulling down the light into this world. So when it says yehi or, that's referring to these upper levels of light that we're talking about, and then it says vav, that's the vav pulling down that heavenly light into the lower light that we experience in this world, like the light of the sun, for instance. Or even the Ora News. right? All those lights are lesser lights. So so that's tsimsum. That vav is tsimsum. It's compressing the light and making the light that we have now. So now we see that we have stages of light. Now let's go to the prayer that we say in the morning, and we're going to see a whole... We're going to see everything that I just told you. You're going to see it with your own eyes right in the beginning of the davening. So we say, Baruch HaTashem. This is right after, again, right after Baruch. Say it every morning. Baruch HaTashem. Yotzer or. Now we've got two languages of creation here we have Yotzer and we have Ose. Oh, I'm sorry. We have Yotzer and we have bore. Now, the Ramban says that when you have the word Yotzer, that means to form. That means that God is taking something that already exists and he's forming it. He's fine-tuning it. When you have the word bore, that means that God is creating it out of nothing. Now, look how it perfectly syncs with everything that we've just said. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe. Yotzer, or. Yotser means that God just is forming something. He's not creating it out of nothing. Why is he just forming it? Because the light was already there. He doesn't have to create it out of nothing. He's just forming it. And how does God create the or? He takes Avir. And he removes the letter Yud. Remember, the letter Yud is the the holiest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. All the other letters in the Hebrew alphabet, they go down to the line or go below the line. One out of 27 letters, and I'm including the five final letters, one letter out of 27 floats above the line. That's the letter Yud. Isn't that awesome? In other words, if you want to see it's kedusha. It's just floating, the letter Yud. God removes the letter Yud, this awesome holiness, from Avir, and he creates Or. But what did we say that Or was? The dark light. So now let's continue to read. Yotzer Or, God forms light. He just forms it because it was already there. And how does he form the light? By removing the letter Yud, And what's the next words? Uverei choshech. And God creates darkness. That's how God created darkness, by removing the letter Yud from Avir. That exalted quality of light, that heavenly, heavenly initial like Yud, removing it. Now we've got the creation of darkness, which shows you That light was always there, but darkness is the creation. You see, so many people think that the baseline of reality is darkness, and God said, let there be light. Everything that we've learned today shows you that the opposite is true. Light is the beginning of the world. Light is the beginning of reality. Light is the truth. Darkness is a creation. And now... Let's skip ahead to the prayer that we say right before Shema. This is Nusach Sfard. It says, And then we say, Shema We declare the oneness of God. So let me read that to you in English. Blessed are you, Hashem, who chooses His people, Israel, with love. Again, why does God create this universe? Why did God create the halal? Right, diminish his light. We said that we should have free choice. How do you say free choice in Hebrew? Bechira. So, so so it's the same word as bulcher. So the context that we read it here a moment ago is blessed are you, Hashem, who chooses his people Israel, with love. And then we declare the oneness of God. But I'm gonna reread this prayer, staying true to the words. Blessed are you, Hashem habochir, who created bechira, who created free choice and gave it as a gift to your people, Israel, with love. Why? So that they can declare your oneness. God, you gave us bechira. You chose us and you gave us bechira, free choice as a gift. Why? Shmichad so that we can look at this world with the illusion of many powers and see the oneness of God. You know, Hebrew is the language that God created the world out of. It's called Lashon HaKodesh. And as Reb Shlomo put it so poetically one time, when the wind rustles through the trees, the sound that it makes is in Hebrew. So, the language of creation is Hebrew. Having said that, and I don't, I don't hardly ever, ever, ever do this, but I wanna make a little bit of a drusha, a little homily based on English. The word, we've been, ta- we've been talking about the halal, which is this vacated space or hole. How do you spell hole in English? H-O-L-E. But isn't it interesting that whole is another word, which means the opposite, w-h-o-l-e, which means the entirety of something with no absence. And so we see that dynamic at play. God makes a whole in order for us to declare the oneness of God and to make everything whole with a w. It says, Yotser God forms light and creates darkness. Shalom because the end of everything is going to be Gilui Yichud, the revelation of God's oneness and peace. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for our new podcast, where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.